Welcome to Season 2 of the Awareness Podcast. There will be a new episode every Friday from one of our four resident hosts and their guests. Tune in for Conversations in Truth with Bill Free, Living and Not Knowing with Jenny Beale, Tools for Awakening with Cindy Krupp, and Living an Awakened Life with me, Susan Telford. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Awareness Podcast. This episode is entitled Living an Awakened Life, and I am Rana Marin, your guest host of this week's episode, because our dear Susan Telford usually does these interviews for this episode of the monthly podcast. And today, Susan Telford is our presenter for the month of December. And so I've been asked to interview her and get us ready for the four-week masterclass in December that Susan will be sharing with us. So hello, Susan Telford, and welcome. Hi, Rona. It's a rather strange experience for me to be on the other side of the microphone today. So thank you for doing this. Well, thank you for asking. <laughs> it's an exciting time for the both of us. And so I'm interested to see what transpires and what rises for us today. So before we get into any conversation, I would love to share Susan's bio with everybody and take just take it in. Susan is an ordained interfaith minister and the author of An Endless Namaste, Poems of Awakening. In addition to being the brilliant program manager for the Evolve community here at the Center for Awakening, her work for Center for Awakening includes roles as managing Evolve and hosting the Living and Awakened Life segment of the Awareness Podcast. Here we are today. <laughs> Susan is a spiritual coach and mentor in private practice and the founder of Slowing Down to the Speed of Grace and the Seventh Sense Symposium, Transformative Programs for Spiritually Awakening Women. Susan believes that as we clear away the conditioning, the shoulds and the supposed tos, what emerges is what she calls the seventh sense, that stream of joyful, creative intelligence that is our birthright. And you can learn more about Susan's work at her website, susantelford.com. Susan, that is a delicious description of uh, how I've come to know you. You have a uh, your hand in, in many beautiful programs of spiritual awakening, assisting and guiding many of us. And so where I'd like to start today is uh, for those that, that don't know you, could you give us a little bit of a taste of what brought you to this journey of awakening? Yeah. So I have always been interested in spirituality um, from being a really tiny wee girl. Um, some of my earliest memories actually are 
are of, you know, going to Sunday school or um, being really, I don't know, just just feeling there's more, to, there's more than this, you, you know, in a really naive, innocent kind of way, just feeling that this is not the whole story, you know. Um, and, you know, I dabbled in as a, you know, as a, a wee girl, I went to the church and the Sunday school and when I was 16, I became a born again Christian and I was very fundamental. You know, I was really like, I was completely in love with Jesus and charismatic uh, Christian organization. Um, and gradually, you know, gradually kind of fell away from that. A lot to do actually with the, the attitude towards women. Um, but this never left me. It never, ever left me. And then, you know, there was a point where I was a Buddhist. There's a Tibetan Buddhist monastery very near where I live. And, you know, I was kind of former, I took formal refuge as a Buddhist and followed the Buddhist path for many years. And then I came to a period of rejection, rejecting all of it, you know, of just feeling that, you know, my kind of phrase was, oh, Susan, why can't you just be normal? But this kind of longing was in me. It was in me. So anyway, I went and, and in my 40s, I, I did a degree in maths and I became a maths teacher. And, you know, I'd had various, I'd had a real longing and a real pull to work with women way back in the 90s. And, I, you know, I, I did a bit of training as a psychotherapist, but I never finished it. I set up an online business called Stella UK, be the star of your own life, <laughs> which was, good, you know, it's kind of self-explanatory. You know, my pull was always to that kind of, you know, working with women, um, the spiritual, the creative, all of that. But, you know, I put all that away and got a proper job. And became a math teacher, and in 2016 had a terrible burnout. I mean, awful. You know, a real, a real uh, brick upside the head that put me in bed for six months, and and ultimately led to a spiritual awakening, because I could no longer deny. I could no longer deny what was most important to me, what what was most essential about me. And that was the beginning, really. That that was that was. It wasn't the beginning, but it was the. What is it? People say, you know, what is it? I can't remember that phrase. It's something about it's not the. It, it's maybe not the end. It's maybe, but it's it's the beginning of the end. Right. I don't know. I've, I've misquoted right. that terribly, but but it what it was. I could no longer. I couldn't go back. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to live in any other way than to be the driven, type A, perfectionist, good girl that had landed me in burnout twice in my life. Um, I just, I didn't know how else to be. And and that led to a level of desperation and and sadness and depression that somehow grace, fierce grace, I call it, broke into. And um, ha I had the experience, it seems quite trivial, but it was life changing of I realised I was being breathed. I was just looking out the window and, and I just 
realize I just had that realization that I was not even in charge of my next breath. And that kind of started a whole cascade of things where I realized I was not in charge of any of it. And so that that real period of questioning and looking at things started. Um, and all sorts of things I'm sure that we'll discuss came from that. So that was a very long answer to your question, but um, no, that's a beautiful overview, you know, and it, it sounds like that that point of brokenness was a was a catalyst for you for a real jumping off place uh, to a completely different experience. Um, you know, the idea of being breathed you know, is something that, that has been uh, mentioned in, in some of our awakening teachings. Um, what, what does that mean to be awakened or to be breathed? What does that mean for you? So for me, what it's come to mean, and this has been, you know, th this is not something that I saw immediately. It's been something that over the seven years that it's been, um has has deepened and has become more clear but the the best definition that i can give of being awakened is that i no longer think i'm susan and that you know that's the most succinct way that i can put it in that investigation of all all of the ways that i'd lived my life all of the conditioning that i'd been brought up with that i believed was the way to be i didn't see any other way to be even though i'd explored various spiritual paths um i still it still didn't it was still susan doing the spiritual paths you know, I really, I really want to kind of emphasize that 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 all the you know being a Christian, being a Buddhist, it was all this character called Susan trying to improve herself, trying to find peace, trying to find happiness, trying to find something that seemed external, that seemed in the future, that seemed that. I could apply my type A driven, good girl, perfectionist personality to. I could be a really good spiritual student, a really good Christian, a really good Buddhist. All of that was just, you know, I called it, um, I called it, you know, that my early spiritual paths were just self-improvement dressed up in Sunday best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was, it was the same, it's the same thing it was the same impulse that led me to get a first class honours degree in maths when I was 47 because of course I was going to get of course you know I'm a perfectionist I do things very well so so now the difference is I realize that there is no person called Susan that that was just a fiction you know, it was it was made that was made up of all of that conditioning and all of those drives and all of those behaviours that are then um, reinforced by the world because because you get a lot of praise for that. You know, you get you get a lot of recognition for being successful. But this was the own this was the thing I couldn't do that I couldn't apply that to. 
because I re- I just had such a sense of, oh my God, I've read there's no doer. I've read that, you know, I have an intellectual understanding that there's no doer, but actually there's no doer. All these things started to happen that I was not doing. One of the things, um, you're not going to get a word in sideways here, <laughs> What? You're going right where I was going to go. So, you know, great minds. One of, one of the things that happened was um, I was writing in my journal a lot, very angry, morning page journaling type stuff about how angry I was at how my life had turned out and what was I supposed to do now? And I thought I was supposed to be a teacher. I thought this was my vocation. And out of my pen came not a teacher of mathematics, a teacher of God. And at the time, Centre for Awakening was called the Teachers of God Foundation. But I didn't know that. So I googled Teachers of God. I googled Teacher of God and up popped Teachers of God Foundation. Now, this is very unlike, unlike me to do this. I wrote to, to the Teachers of God Foundation and said, I think I might have to work for you. I think maybe, you know, so things like that happened. Um, which which I was not doing. Yes, you know, the, the body wrote, wrote the email, you know, the body came on the Zoom call with Bill Free, but I was not directing that because inside my head was going, you're insane, actually. You're, this is insanity. You need to really backtrack from this. Mm-hmm. Um, so the process of living an awakened life for me has has been trusting that more and more and more um and again you know there there i started to see that you know it wasn't insanity that other people had similar experiences and that's been the 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 blessing for me of 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 uh, managing evolve has been moderating this community of people on the same path with the same kinds of experiences, knowing that I'm actually not insane. (laughs) Someone (laughs) said to me once, you're not insane, Susan, you're waking up. Um, So So beautiful. Um, I just hear that you were led, you know, once, once that catalyst became in motion and you had some of these scenes about not being Susan and then stepping back and trusting that even though I can hear the anxiety behind it, you know, that, that old voice that says you're supposed to be doing something normal, you know, and just that seeking. Oh, go ahead. What will people think? What will people think? What will people say? Yeah. Yeah. And then to be led to the the community, the Center for Awakening, formerly known as Teachers of God, and to be in that position where you not only exposed to others having the same experience, but a wealth of the teachers that are brought in, you know, for a very wide view of what awakening and awareness and and the non-duality teachings are. And so truly blessed, right? If if I step back, I will be led, right? Isn't that a course in miracles? Really bad paraphrase. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Um, you seem to really point 
to including our humanness in this awakening process. Um, You talked about, you know, I am not this Susan, but there is not a rejection of the world in your work, Susan. And so could you describe a little bit about integrating humanness into awakening? Yeah. And and maybe specifically as a hu- as a woman, you know, yeah. because you did touch on that work, working with women, and it is a big part of your private practice. And so maybe you could focus in on that for us a little bit. Yeah, it's the whole of my private practice because I don't, you know, I only I exclusively work with women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I think there there can be a there can be a tendency to stop before the end of the awakening process. And I think that can happen in a number of ways. You know, we can get we can get a taste of awakening. We can have these sudden glimpses that, oh, my goodness, things are not, you know, things are not how I think they are or how I've been brought up to believe they are either, you know, myself, my body, the world, the mind, all of that stuff. And we can read things and we can hear things that say statements such as, the body, you know, I am not my body. Um, the body's not real. The world is an illusion. And um, there's no mind. And these can be misinterpreted um, because I think there is a stage of there's a stage of realizing that, and for a time, the 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 previously believed reality of that really loosens. But that's not the end of the path. The end of the the path then turns, and with the understanding that you have of your true nature, you come back into the body, into the world. You see that the the mind is being the mind is simply created, and um, in the presence of thoughts and sense perceptions and bodily sensations, um. And so there's a, there's a, a re, there's almost like a, it's almost like you, well, for me, I can only speak from my own experience. For me, it was almost like, uh, I really saw that I'm not this, that this, that this, this thing that I, this woman I thought I was, I'm not that. And it was almost like a kind of, oh, well, if I'm not that, what am I? Terror that, that, that came up, a kind of, oh, if I keep pursuing this, then what's going to happen? You know, there was real, quite a lot of fear around that. But as I as I integrated teachings, and this is another, you know, part of my path that I did. I did the ministerial preparation programme with Regina Dawn Acres at Awakening Together. And the reason I did that was because I'd been a Christian and I'd been a Buddhist and I was interested in the universal truth at the heart of all spiritual traditions. I also had met Regina and was very drawn to her as a teacher and a mentor. And I wanted to see what was clear, what what everything was saying and how it all kind of fit together. I didn't, you know, I very much know that all of the traditions are the fingers pointing at the moon, you know, that they are not the truth. None of them are the truth. They're all pointing towards truth. but there was a so there was a very much a coming back um into the body into the world um to 
to live from this understanding um, that I'm not doing any of this. And it just became, it, it is like a big adventure. It's like I just wake up in the morning and I don't, don't know what's going to happen. I'm speaking now and I don't know what the next words are going to be. That's, and that, you know, that can be, that can be a bit, a, can feel a bit like, it, it, it's like being, I always think of that character, you know, the character in the cartoons that jumps off the cage, the, the cliff, and the legs are kind of, um, for those on the podcast, I'm kind of wiggling my fingers. <laughs> um, that kind of thing of, of being in, in midair. And actually, what I've come to realise is that being in that midair as it is, is the, is the surrender, is the, is the, allowing everything to just come through and, and be as it is. And I'll just finish this little part by saying one of the most transformative courses in that ministerial preparation programme for me was Ajishanti's true, a course based on Ajishanti's book, True Meditation. I'd followed Ajishanti when I was a Buddhist. I was very fond of Ajishanti and really respected his teachings, but I'd never actually somehow read that book. I don't know if it wasn't out at that point or I'd never read that book. And I had very Tibetan Buddhist meditation ideas, you know, and they were very type A, be a very good straight back, sit with your, until your legs are screaming in pain, you know. Um, and that course somehow brought me back to, um, Everything it includes everything. Um, he spoke in he spoke in the book about you know meditating. On, I was doing it in the summer about meditating on a deck chair, and just just to be with whatever was you know. So the birds singing and the the, the heat on my face and and I thought I had such a major reaction to that. That's not meditation. What's he talking about? That's not meditation. But that loosened something. And that was part of that giving up the beliefs and starting to live the whatever realization I had had. Right. I love how you described using the cartoon, you know, um, just being in that space and so open to the endless possibilities of what is next. And I think one of the things that occurred for you was a bit of poetry oh, came yeah. through, right? Um, as I had mentioned in your bio, you have a number one best-selling <laughs> um, book called Endless and Endless Namaste. And so would you like to talk a little bit about your poetry? Yes, well, that was um, that was something that just started to happen spontaneously, both in you know writing the morning pages. You know, one of one of the things that I've done as part of my coaching work is to guide people through the artist's way because it, it's a it's a book by Julia Cameron about unblocking creativity because it was something I had done myself. I just actually was doing something before this podcast on it. And the first time I ever did it was 1997. I've written all the dates that I did it in my in my book. And interestingly, there's a there's a 13 year gap between the year 2000 and the year 2013. That was when I was being normal. You know, that was when I was having a proper job. That was when I went to university. That, you know, that was 
and, and I was saying in that, you know, to that class that I was speaking to there, ignoring that inner voice can derail you for decades, decades. You know, we can so completely shut off that voice. Um, so as I started to, to to journal, to do the morning pages, to go through the ministerial preparation program, it's things started to come in kind of poetic form. You know, I would just write really short sentences, and then I would think, "Oh, that's a bit like a poem," but I didn't really think much of it. And it just kept happening and happening and happening. And then, you know, in the Evolve gatherings, for example, I would say, oh, I'll just share something that I wrote this week. It's kind of a bit poetic. <laughs> and then, and these were just hidden in doc, Google Docs, in my journals, in my morning pages journals, um, all over the place. And then I had a really strong sense of publish them. So I went rooting around, you know, for ages to find out um, how many there were. And I think there were 30, maybe 30. And it turned into this book, An Endless Namaste, uh, Poems of Awakening. And it's in chronological order of my awakening. The very first one is called The Body Knows because it was my body that that stopped me, you know, that, that basically said, hold on here, yes. you know. We cannot yes. have you keeping on down this wrong path for the rest of this life. So <laughs> please share with us that first poem, please. Okay. So it's called The Body Knows. The body knows the lies you tell. The headache blooms where love is blocked. The wrong path knots your stomach with the nausea of self-abandonment the fear of being seen, your precious life energy exchanged for acceptance. You push on, too busy to notice the birds gliding effortlessly through the sky, the flower buds gently opening, the return of the spring sun, these masters showing the way home. You push down the truth emerging, still trying to be good, forgetting your own innate perfection. There is nowhere to get to, nothing to strive for. Everything is a gift you rejected over and over until now. Oh, my dear. I mean... It's almost prophetic, isn't it? Well, it was a message to myself because what happened in my journaling was that in response to this crying out, a voice started to emerge that was speaking to me. And the mind said, this is schizophrenia. This is, you know, people who hear two voices in their head are schizophrenic. You'd better retreat to safety, my dear, or you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, but it was such a loving voice. It was it was telling me, it was guiding me along this path that I started to trust it. I had names yeah. for them. I called one voice capital WSS, which was Witness Susan Self, which is not strictly true from what I know now, but I called it Witness Susan Self. 
And the other one was little lowercase WSS, which was We Scared Susan. And they used to dialogue with each other in my journals. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and poetry does something for that. I know that uh, in some of your teachings, you you teach a process called Lectio Divina. Yeah. You know, um, maybe you could give us a, a little taste of what that is um, and, and what that that process has brought for you and and for countless others, may I say. <laughs> well, in the in the um you know, I was very I am very interested still in Christianity and particularly in the Christian mystic mystical tradition. Um and there was a a tradition within the Christian monastic tradition of contemplating scripture using a process called Lectio Divina. Um, and I adapted that for contemplating poetry, um, you know, from poets such as Rumi and Hafiz and some of my own as well. And you know, there's, a, there's a poet called Dorothy Walters that, that I've really enjoyed. And so I've used, I've used this process. So basically what the process is, is um, allowing the, po- the poem to, to trigger some kind of response. There's four stages of Lectio Divina. One's the Lectio, which is when you read the poem. So you could, you know, if you want to practice it, you could even, and it felt right, you could go back, you could um, re-listen to me reading that Body Knows poem and use it for that. If you know, for example, that your body is telling you messages that you are otherwise ignoring, you could use that poem to and find the find the words and the phrases that really resonate um and and ask within listen within to whatever comes and the words of the poetry poetry seems to bypass the mind because the truth cannot be known by the mind we cannot understand these spiritual truths and actually we spend decades trying to often uh, trying to learn from different traditions, but we cannot understand it with the mind. And so somehow the process of Lectio Divina um, bypasses that. It, it's, it kind of put, seems to put us into a space, into a kind of liminal space where we can, we can access inner wisdom. So, um, yeah. Great. Great. Um. What I'm feeling drawn to at this point is discussing your idea of the seventh sense, because this seems to be all these pointers, this, this inner guidance, you know, um, and, and everybody knows we've got five senses and then maybe the sixth sense is a bit of ESP or in, you know, that we talk about in the world. But uh, you've really coined the term, the seventh sense, and I'd love for you to share what that means. Yeah, yeah. So, so in a sense, it's exactly as you said. It's 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 like the, it's almost like the evolution. I mean, I firmly believe this actually, that that it's the evolution of the, of of the human, um, that we have. All our experience of the world, just you know, in conventional terms, our only experience of the world, when, when you really think about it, is through our senses and through our thinking. 
and through our bodily sensations. That's that's our only only information about whatever is out there. And that, you know, I spoke earlier about teachings that say the world is an illusion. And and to me, what that means does is not that there's nothing out there. It means that whatever is out there is not what we think it is, because all we are, all we're able to perceive of it is what the senses that belong to the body mind, this this, you know, what Donald Hoffman calls the virtual headset. Um, that that's all we know of the world are from our five senses. And we could call the mind, you know, the thoughts and the bodily sensations, that that mental realm, we could call that the sixth sense. That So the senses are the fifth sense and the mental realm is the sixth sense. But I said that you cannot understand the truth of who you are with the mind. And so in order to understand who you truly are and what the hell is going on in this realm we there seems to be the coming on online of what i call the seventh sense mm -hmm. which is both the knowing of who you are and the opening of some kind of I don't know what I was going to use the word channel, but I don't want that to sound as though you're channeling some entity because that's not at all what I mean. But the opening of some aperture, let's say, which is not even a thing, where this um, this wisdom seems to come online, and it is the um, the same intelligence that spins the planets. That, that causes acorns to grow on oak trees and not chestnuts, that, ha that somehow is orchestrating through its vessels, if you, we want to use that word, the whole thing. And so the development of that seventh sense is the process of living an awakened life. It's the... It, it is the integration. It's the it's the no longer relying on the five senses and the sixth sense um, to tell you the truth, because it's so filtered by our own conditioning. You know, we've heard many people. I think I think it was I first heard Rupert Spider maybe say, when we put on orange glasses, we will argue black is white that the snow is orange that the world is orange that your face is orange but it's just the orange glasses so it's living unfiltered yes guided by the seventh sense and that's what my whole life that's what my whole life is <laughs> more and more are deepening into that yeah yeah that's beautiful it, it sounds to me what the words that are coming to me are like an inner compass you know, it's just this this pull that we have. And uh, Susan does a brilliant job of of helping identify those conditions of shoulds and should, you know, shouldn'ts and um, and provides a great opportunity for us to to not take ourselves too seriously when we notice those filters and perceptions um, because they're there. I mean, we're we're living 
seemingly in this world. And um, Susan has a great way of helping you you spot that and then and then jump into this creative intelligence. You know, that's what I'm hearing for you, that there's there's a creative intelligence inside that gets tapped into. And uh, you know, as a as uh, as someone who you know has been both a musician, you know, I was I was a singer, and a mathematician, that the music and the maths they're the arenas where you hear people say things or you read about you know great composers saying the concerto arrived in my mind fully formed. Now where's that from? That's that's via the seven sense. The math, the mathematician does not solve the problem by scribbling and scribbling pages of equations. The, the Eureka, you know, Archimedes, to go back as far as that, had his Eureka moment as he got into his bath. You know, there's something about the setting aside of what we think we know in order for this to stream through. And it's the source of all great art, great music, great everything, everything. Invention, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, there's an open space. And as you point back to, um, you know, the mind can never understand these things. There seems to be a one creative intelligence that we can hone in on, you know, and, and develop that, that ability to see where, where I'm being led, you know, and trust that that is where one is to go. I would, I would go even further than that, Rona, and and say there is no uh, there is no me that is being led. There is no me who hones in on it. That that creative intelligence is just what's living you and breathing you. And and you know, often people say to me, "Oh, I don't hear guidance. I don't. I don't. I don't hear guidance. What am I supposed to do? The very thing in front of you." Just what's in front of you. Yes. Yes, because there's only now, right? Right. Just this. Yes. Quite a mantra of mine. Just this. Yes. See, Susan is an incredibly gentle teacher, the way that she just guides me back to the (laughs) truth every time. I so appreciate that very much. Um, Well, where I thought we might move into now is to discuss the masterclass that you will be presenting in Evolve for the month of December. Um, we've got four masterclasses, correct? Yes. And um, that might be to have to say <laughs> four classes. Yeah. And the four. title of the series is Stillness. Live from the silent heart. Enter the stillness. Enter the stillness. Live from the silent heart. Yes, yes. And um, I believe you're going to bring in some some teachings from um, the ancients and and kind of looking at some of that. Did, would you like to just describe the overview of what you'll be doing? Yeah. So this is this has kind of come from 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 two things, I suppose. Uh, well, from three things, maybe I, I, there's another thing kind of coalescing um, about this these classes. So, so the three things that 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 I am most passionate about 
are um, the universal truth at the heart of, of all spiritual traditions. Mm-hmm. Is there, first of all, is there, is there a, a universal truth at the heart of all spiritual traditions? Poetry, especially the, the, the mystical poets, the, the, the poets that have written, you know, from that inspiration that, that we've just talked about. And also creativity. You know, I think the, the things, the, the intersection of creativity and spirituality, that's my little sweet spot. You know, that's where I really light up, that, how those inform each other, how they're actually, you know, the same thing. So in the classes, we're going to look at silence and stillness in particular as as themes that seem to be across all of the the, the major spiritual paths. I mean, obviously, I can't speak about every single spiritual path, but you know, the, the ones that are that I'm thinking of are the Christian mystics, Course in Miracles, Sufism the Kabbalah, the Dowdy Ching, Advaita Vedanta. Though they all, although they've been presented through the particular lens of the culture and the time, they all have the same kind of kernel that is the stillness and silence beyond all things, the background of everything. Mm. Um, so we're going to explore that um, not in an intellectual, let's learn about it all way, in a direct experiential kind of way. And in order to facilitate that, I'm going to use poetry. And so we will be using Lectio Divina in the, in the contemplation of these poems. And actually, what this is the bit that just, it's just occurred to me as we're speaking, actually. What I, th- what I would love to lead people to do would be then to actually perhaps write a poem of their own um, as a response to each class, um, just to allow that process to happen. So, so, that, so that's creative intelligence happening on the scene. Exactly. So that, so that so that we each have a taste of that, that we do actually have, it's not just Mozart and, you know, Dante or whoever, but it's available to each one of us and is the truest part of us. Yes. So yeah, so that that's that's the that's the arena that we'll we'll be playing in in December. Well, that's ter- that's so uh, terrific. I can't wait. I you know the truth is is that Susan has sparked a little creative juices in myself as well. And I, I've written a couple of poems in the last few weeks. So, I mean, you just soak it in and it's going to be just a wonderful experience for, for the entire group. I can't wait. And um, the one of the classes, I think the final class is on the 23rd of December, which is obviously just two days before Christmas. And so in that one, you know, one of the most one of the most um, famous Christmas hymns is Silent Night. And so I want to look at the symbolism of the birth of Jesus and and the bringing of the light and what that actually symbolizes from from the point of view of awakening. It sounds wonderful. It sounds like you you're going to be bringing in some of the masters that we can take a look at. 
and filter out uh, this universal truth. Exactly. Exactly. Wonderful. Um, well, Susan, what's alive in you right now? Is is there anything that we maybe hopped over or or something that you would like to uh, share with us in terms of your journey? Um, I might read another poem if that's okay with you. I would love that. Thank you. Um, I was going to read one called Surrender. Which I think kind of, you know, as my journey has has gone on, as I said, I've I've realized more and more um, that there is no doer. That the more, you know, one of the <laughs> I always say that, you know, my guidance kind of comes in sometimes in unconventional ways. And one of the the most profound pieces of um of spiritual instruction, I suppose you could say that I got was get out of the damn way. <laughs> so this poem's called Surrender. And, you know, for people listening, you can use this too as Lectio Divina. So, you know, in the first, the first stage, as I said, is, is the reading and in this case, the listening. So, so if you're able, as you're listening to this, to close your eyes and to just receive it um just listen and see see what it sparks in you with the the view of doing a, a little journaling afterwards when you have time who is it who has a problem surrender that resign as the doer step back and become like a window the light of reality will stream through you. Stop pretending to be in charge. Trust that life will move you. Trust in infinite intelligence. Trust the creative power. The personality cannot understand this. Don't even try. Simply agree to surrender. Follow guidance into the problem-free unknown. And that, that really sums it up because, you know, yeah. if there's no person, there's no problem because everything is just happening. And if we can become comfortable with living in the unknown, then where is there a problem? I'm just reminded, I just heard Loch Kelly in my head there. Who would you be if there was no problem to solve? You'd be living life from the seventh sense. Yes, you would. Peace yeah. and joy and creative juiciness. <laughs> <laughs> Deliciousness, openness. Yes. Yes. A, a beautiful denial of anything. There's no denial. There's no spiritual bypass. You know, as we said earlier, that we're in these bodies in this world, apparently. 
um, function. Let's have some fun. Yeah. Let's have some fun. Let's let's enjoy. Yeah. yeah. So beautiful. Susan Telford, thank you so much for this opportunity. I, uh, I'm looking forward to entering the stillness with you for four weeks in December. We're going to live from our silent heart for the entire month with the guidance of the beautiful Sil Susan Telford. And I want to thank you so much for being here with me today. And thank everyone who's listening for joining us. Thank you so much, Rona. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Awareness Podcast. If you would like to join me for my class, Enter the Stillness, Live from the Silent Heart, which takes place in Evolve beginning December 4th, then click the link in the show notes for this podcast for more details and to join me. Be sure to tune in next Friday for Conversations in Truth with Bill Free and Amy Habel. The Awareness Podcast is brought to you by Centre for Awakening, formerly known as the Teachers of God Foundation, in association with Pure Presence Conferences.